Well, good morning, church family. How are we doing? Tell you, I love that back crew. We were a bunch of Baptists here, so you got all those back row people, but y'all loud. <laughs> I could hear y'all talking during the children's sermon. <laughs> Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. If you're there, say word. Go ahead and stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. John 9. We're just going to read the first 12 verses. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, as we go through this chapter, that you will add a blessing upon it. We are thankful that your word does not return to you void. Open our blind eyes this morning to the truth of your gospel. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Last Sunday, we tackled the first seven verses of John 9. Today we're going to tackle the entire chapter, 41 verses. Last Sunday was much needed, for myself especially. We looked at Christ as the light of the world who gives sight to the blind. And as we will recap that in our message this morning, I'm hoping that you will walk away today encouraged with the gospel that gives sight to the spiritually blind. This chapter is a fantastic expression of the gospel. This entire chapter is the gospel. We see this man who's been born blind from birth. He's approached by Christ for no other reason except to display God's work in his life. This is a picture of salvation today. There is nothing you can do to receive it. No amount of giving, no amount of serving, no amount of obeying can save you. Only the power of Jesus Christ can save you. For most of us in this room this morning, we were once spiritually blind, unable to see the truths of the gospel, the beauty of who Jesus is. And Jesus, in his infinite grace and mercy, saved us. 
and displayed His power and glory in our lives. I hope that's your witness this morning. This chapter encourages me as a preacher. This chapter shows us why we preach the gospel every single Sunday. It's the gospel that lifts the blind scales from our eyes so that we may be able to see the truth of who Jesus is. But what we're going to see here in chapter 9, this is also the same gospel that also blinds those who think that they are saved but truly aren't. I heard a quote from one of my favorite preachers recently. He said that he preaches in such a way that those in the pews who think they are saved but truly aren't can see the true gospel. Church, I've shared with you several times that the difficult part of ministering in what is known as the Bible Belt is preaching to people who think they're saved, but in reality they're not saved. Because we have this mentality in the Bible Belt that in order to be saved, we need to attend church. We need to give. We need to serve. That's not what gives salvation. But that's the mentality. There's this mentality that while well, I was raised in a Christian home, I'm a believer. I'm, I, I, am, I am saved from hell. But have you truly given your life to Jesus? Have you truly surrendered? Because we see throughout the Gospels people who think they're saved, but they're not. We see the Pharisees that we're going to see here in this chapter who think they're saved, who think they see the truth, but in reality they're blind. And let's be honest, church, we need to be aware of this in our church as a whole. These people are Sunday school teachers, small group leaders, deacons and elders, pastors and staff who need to be shown the true gospel. They think that they're saved because they have it in their minds that God owes them salvation. They think that God owes them salvation because of their own works or even because of how they were raised. And we need to get that mentality out. We need to get rid of that. We need to throw it out of our minds because that's not the truth of the gospel. But what we see here in John 9 is how Christ gives sight to the spiritually blind and a heart to worship. And that's, that's the goal for today's message. That, that's what I want you to walk away with, the big idea. Christ gives sight to the spiritually blind and a heart to worship him. And it's all by God's sovereignty. It's all by the power of God in the, in the life of a believer that, God, that Christ does this. And so this story is broken up into four sections. We're going to see the transformation of, of the man. We're going to see the reaction of the people. We're going to see the investigation of the Pharisees. And then we're going to look at the application of the text. You ready to jump in? This, I think this is the largest passage I've ever preached through. So I'm excited. So first, we see the transformation of the man. We saw this last Sunday. He had done nothing to receive this miracle. He was a blind beggar. He was just trying to get some change so that he can eat. He was not looking for a miracle of healing. But God steps up and he heals him. Jesus didn't look at him and think, oh, this guy has done some good in his life. Karma has reached out to him. Let's save the guy. It's not what Jesus thought. Jesus looked at the man and saw that God's work is going to be displayed. And so Christ healed the man. That's grace. That is grace. He had done nothing to receive this healing. It's all a part of God's plan. 
We see that in verses one through three, how this man was born blind so that God's work could be made known through him. Church, God has worked within your life so that he can display his work to the world. Your greatest witness is your transformation. What God has done in your life is your greatest witness. We're going to see more about that later. We touched on verses 1 through 7 last Sunday. We saw how God knows our problems. Sadly, he knows our sin. He knows our sin. He knows the sin that we've committed that we haven't even realized that we've committed. He knows every one of them. You can't hide your sin from God. But God also knows our struggles. He knows our temptations. He knows our anxieties. He knows our financial problems. He knows that when stress comes into our lives, when problems arise, God knows our problems. And he knows all these things. And he still has grace so that we can be healed. He still loves us enough to save us, even in the midst of our sin and struggles. Church, we're, we're messed up people. <laughs> we have been totally wrecked. Christ has come to piece us back together, to make us whole. We also saw that God has a purpose for our, our problems. <clears throat> he uses them for his glory and for our good. And we also saw that this miracle is solely done by God's power. Jesus used dirt and spit and healed a man's blindness. And what's crazy is the fact that Jesus didn't even have to use dirt and spit to heal the man. He only chose to. This was a great flashback to creation. God created man out of the dust of the earth. Christ is using dust of the earth to create a new man. It's a new creation. Then the coolest part of the entire passage was when Jesus told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. The name Siloam means sent. The sent one sent the man to wash in the pool called sent. We learn that this pool was the pool of water that they poured around the altar during the Feast of Booths. When Jesus stood up in John 7 and said, if anyone thirsts, come to me and rivers of flowing water will flow out of you. That's the same water. And Jesus pointed the blind man to go bathe in that, in that water to wash. And so what was the message from that? Christ is telling us, if you want to be healed, wash in the pool of God's grace. If you want to be healed, wash in the pool of Jesus. And we see that because of the blood that was shed on the cross. It's the blood that washes us clean. We're going to take communion here shortly. We're going to be reminded of the body that was broken and the blood that was shed so that we can be healed of our spiritual blindness. Communion is a special time. It's not a ritual it's not just going through the motions, just eating the bread and drinking the juice. It's partaking of God's grace. Church, Jesus has provided the way that we may spiritually see. He has lived a life we couldn't live. Holy, perfect, spotless, sinless life. So that he could die the death that we deserved. Paid the penalty for us on the cross sacrifice for our in our place so that when we come to God the price has been 
paid. This is, this, this is the gospel. This is the gospel. To wash in the pool of God's grace, be healed. All right, so now we're called up. All right. That was last Sunday. Verse 8. We're going to see the reaction of the people. The people reacted to this man's healing. I mean, come on. If you guys know somebody who is blind and then out of nowhere they show up and they say that they, that they can see, I'm pretty sure we're all going to be, especially me, we're all going to be like, yo, who did you go see? What healing did, who did this? They didn't have medicine back then. They didn't have doctors back then who can, who can do this. This was a miracle. And this guy more than likely was running around telling people, I can see. I can see. Have you ever gotten news like that, that you just want to share with the world? A friend of mine just got cleared for three years of cancer. He's been cancer free for three years. That's news to share. You ever had news like that that you just want to tell people about? I had to get on the radio and tell people I'm getting married. That's what I was excited about. But they look at this man and they're like, who is this man? They reacted. So we see the reactions of the people around him and here's why. Transformation is noticeable. Transformation is noticeable. When we lived in our first house, um, Back in 2009, we got married in September. I moved into the house that we started renting in March, April, May, June, July, August, one of those months. And um, moved in, tried to get the house ready. Tara still lived with her parents, waiting for the wedding day to move in. We had no furniture. My wife and I probably made together $30,000 a year. If that, that might have been before taxes. I don't know. It wasn't much because I had gotten laid off and she had just started her hair business. And we were just like, how are we going to do this? But hey, let's get married, you know. <laughs> so we had no furniture. I went out to a yard sale one day. There was a couch outside on a trailer. And I pulled over, looked at the couch. I sat on it. It was firm. It felt brand new. It was great. So I asked the guy, I said, how much for the couch? He said, 25 bucks. I said, I'll give you 10 for it. He said, no, it's 25. I said, okay, I'll take it. I'm not really good at haggling, but. So I got it, brought it home, put it in the living room. Tara decided to come over because we were painting or, or something, getting one of, the, one of the rooms ready. And she saw the couch in the living room. I got chewed out. Chewed out. She thought it was the ugliest couch she had ever seen in her life. It probably had every color of the rainbow on it. And it wasn't even a rainbow. It was, it, honestly, looking back on it, it was ugly. But guys, I was 21, no money. We needed a couch. <laughs> I'm a thrift store guy. My wife is high maintenance. In a good way, honey. But... She noticed something was different in the house. She walked in and she didn't like it. That couch was gone that week. Transformation is noticeable. 
Change is noticeable. Can people tell that you are a new creation? Can people tell that you have changed? From the time I got saved when I was six years old to now, a lot has changed in my life. There's a lot of change from 31 to 6. Hair. <laughs> Height. But spiritually over the years, I've had to grow in a lot of areas. And I'm still growing. We as believers are to continually be changing and transforming. When we give our lives to Christ that first time, that first day, that, that starts our new life, that you are transformed, but you're not complete. You continue growing. Can people tell that you are growing? That you are transforming? People should know that we're a new creation. That we act differently than the world. Church, we are to act differently than the world. We are to talk differently than the world. We are to look differently than the world. And quite frankly, compared to the world, Christianity is starting to look a little weird. Am, am I right? As far as the world's going now, Christianity is starting to look pretty weird. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. If we are not looking weird compared to the world, we may need to examine ourselves. In church, what better time to do that than during communion? What we can also notice about the people's reaction in John 9 is not just that transformation is noticeable. Because when we, when, what we see in verses 8 and 9, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said it is he. Others said no, but he's like him. And he kept saying, I am the man. They noticed something different. They were even questioning if it was the same guy. Not only is transformation noticeable, transformation is captivating. Transformation is captivating. What do I mean by that? Our transformation should open up the door for us to share the gospel with others. Look at verse 10. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? Let me tell you something, church. What better way to get caught up in a gospel conversation than somebody to start it? Why are you so different? Well, let me tell you about a man named Jesus. Nowadays, we find it difficult to share the gospel because we keep trying to find ways to bring it into our conversations. And we get afraid. But our transformation should be captivating to the point that people start asking questions. He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I don't know. They notice the transformation and they are captivated by it. Church, I've had to explain to people why I don't watch certain TV shows. I've had to explain to people why I don't believe in living together before marriage or sex before marriage. I've had to explain to people why I hate pornography and why I stand for the unborn. Because Jesus has done a work in my life, has given me new desires. I am a new creation. He's given me a new heart to glorify Him. 
And in those opportunities that I have to explain my transformation, I get to ask the question, can I tell you who Jesus is? Our transformation should be captivating. The man in John 9 shares with the people about what Jesus did in his life. They asked him, they said, how were your eyes open? And he said, the man called Jesus. We must be willing and able to do the same. Why? Because our lives are a sermon that should lead to a conversation. Our lives are a sermon that should lead to a conversation. Could you say that about your life? Could you say that you're living a life right now that people could tell you're different than the world? Or do people tend to ask that question, I thought you're supposed to be different than the world. And check this out. This man does not have all the answers. He starts out with, well, the man called Jesus made mud. This just happened. He was just healed. He doesn't know the Bible. He doesn't know doctrine. He doesn't know who Jesus is fully yet. He just knows he's been changed and transformed. He doesn't know everything about Jesus, but he told people about his healing. Understand this. You don't have to have all the answers in order to share the gospel, church. You don't have to wait to read your entire Bible to share the gospel with somebody. You don't have to have all the verses memorized in order to share the gospel. Tell them how Jesus has changed your life. Tell them how he's continuing to change your life. Tell them what he's done and then let God use those words to help others believe. Church, we must be like this man. We must be excited and ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. We must be willing to share the gospel with people. But what happens? You start acting different. And I, I'm, I'm even talking to the teenagers because this happened to me in high school several times. You act different. You talk different. And people start asking, why, why don't you do this? Why don't you go to this party? Why don't you, why don't you smoke this? Why, why don't you do any of, of this? Sometimes we get scared. Well, I just, I just don't want to. And we miss the opportunity to share the gospel with people. We miss that opportunity. Because, man's the, because the man's transformation has caused such a stir in the people, they decided to bring him to the Pharisees. Uh-oh. <laughs> What's going to happen now? Because this is where we see the investigation of the Pharisees. What we've seen throughout the first eight chapters of the Gospel of John, the Pharisees are not a fan of Jesus. They're jealous of his platform. They're jealous of his following. And they're afraid of him. And all they want to do now is catch him in the wrong act so they can kill him. That's all they want to do right, right now. And right here, the problem that they saw in this whole thing was that this healing was done on the Sabbath. We've already been through this one time. 
Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath. The Pharisees had a problem with it. Well, here we go again. Jesus, why are you doing this? You healed another man on the Sabbath. You saw the problem. But you see, here's the thing. Jesus did not do anything sinful. He didn't do anything sinful because he didn't break God's law. He broke the rules that the Pharisees added to that law. The law is to remember the Sabbath. Pharisees added a whole list of things that you can't do on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees were not happy. They were not happy. They were not willing to overcome these false standards that they have in order to see who Jesus really is. They wouldn't let go of the law in order to see who Jesus truly is. Their faith was in their works and not in Christ. And so the first thing within the investigation that, that we can take away from this is if we want to truly believe who Jesus is, we need to overcome false standards. We need to overcome false standards. These standards that we have set up in the church that says, if you want to be saved, you have to take part in this. If you want to be saved, you have to do this. Oh, you're not really a Christian because you're not a leader in the church. We need to get over these standards that we have set up because why? We're beginning to look like Pharisees. And we, in order to come to know who Jesus truly is, need to overcome those false standards. The law does not save. Church, your church attendance does not save. That hymn, when it talks about when the role is called up yonder, it's not talking about the church membership role. The Pharisees believe in obedience to the law because they believe that it brings salvation. But church, here's the thing about the law. The law is not bad. The law is good. The law points to our need for salvation. The law points to Jesus. And we must overcome these false standards. No amount of tithing can save you. No amount of serving can save you. Surrendering to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The power that He gives through the Holy Spirit in your life that transforms you is what saves you. Now, each question that the Pharisees ask the man in verses 13 through, through 17, is, it's really cool. The man comes back. He's not intimidated by the Pharisees. Why? Because the man is just being honest. The man is just being honest about what Christ has done for him. He's making a stand. He's not going to lie to them. But the Pharisees don't like it. So they bring in his parents. <laughs> Ever been called to the principal's office? And they don't like your response, so they call mommy and daddy. My parents hated it every time they were called from the principal's office. It happened a lot. When we look at verses 18 through 23, basically, when the parents are brought in, the parents tell them this. They say, why don't you ask him these questions? He's an adult. He's of age. Why bring us into this question? Into this, And we see why in verse 22 that they're acting like this. In verse 22, they're afraid. 
They're afraid to be kicked out of the synagogue. Which leads to the next thing we need to overcome in order to believe Jesus. Truly, we need to overcome the fear of man. We need to overcome the fear of man. Not only within our own investigation of who Jesus is, we should overcome the fear of man. The man's parents were afraid of losing their right to the synagogue, so they wanted to just pass the buck over to the man. They were afraid of the opposition. And if anybody wants to know about opposition this morning, let me tell you about it. This pollen this week is killing me. I can't breathe. I'm having a hard time talking. Opposition is not always fun. Am I right? But let me ask you this question. Is there risk today in following Jesus? Yes. Could you lose your job for following Jesus? Yes. Could you lose your friends? Yeah. Could you lose your family? Yeah. Could you lose your life? It may not be as prominent in America, but yet. I wonder if you've seen lately the amount of Christians that are being slaughtered in other countries right now. More specifically, Nigeria. Or have you seen on the news the amount of Christians that are being persecuted in China who has now made it a priority to shut down all the churches? We have it good in America. We have it good. We may not know what's on the horizon, but right now, today, we have it good. But when we look across the countries, we see people who see that Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth giving their lives for. Jesus is worth being thrown in prison just so they can go and worship. But we sometimes have a hard time getting to church on Sundays because it's raining outside or because we're tired. I'm talking to myself too, guys. They counted the cost and nothing compares to knowing Jesus Christ. Nothing compares to the riches of His grace and mercy. Nothing compares to following the Savior and they are willing to risk their lives for it. Matthew 10, 22, it says, And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And we see through verse 34 that this man, he stood firm on what he believed. And he was willing to be kicked out of the synagogue because of it. Church, we must overcome our fear of man. And give it a few more years. Give it a few more years and see just how much more hostile this world's going to be towards our faith. I hate it for my kids right now. We're seeing it in the courtrooms. We're seeing it in the school systems. We're seeing it in other countries. But let me tell you, Jesus is so worth it. He's worth the opposition. He's worth the risk of losing friends and family. He's worth the risk of losing your job. And church, he's worth the risk of losing your life. Here's the beauty of the gospel. You may lose your life 
for the sake of the gospel. And, and by God's grace, I hope I do. I don't, I don't want to go out some other weak way. I want to go out preaching the gospel. Man may be able to take your life, but they cannot take your salvation. You may be able, you, you may not be able to hold on to everything in this life because of your faith, but Christ will faithfully hold on to you. Be encouraged with that in this world today. That no matter what opposition comes, Christ is far greater and is far worth it. So now we come to the end of the chapter, the end of the story of this man's account with Jesus. It may be the end of the account in John, but it's only the beginning for this man. This man has got a new life now. He's a new creation. Look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. A couple of things I want you to, to take away from this message, the application. First, those who seek Christ, I'm sorry, those who see Christ continue to seek Christ. Those who see Christ continue to seek Christ. From the words of Helen Keller, Gradually, I got used to the silence and darkness that surrounded me and forgot that it had ever been different until she came, my teacher, who set my spirit free. This man in John 9 was once blind and now he sees and Christ has set him free. He believes in who Jesus is. He worships the Savior who, who healed him. This is the man who once claimed Christ was a prophet. We saw that earlier in verse 17. But he now sees Christ is Lord. He's growing in his knowledge. Second Peter 3, 18, it says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We as believers, like this man, we are to continue to seek Christ. We continue to follow him, to grow in him, to seek, to not just know more about him, but to know him more. So church, in order for you to see and Savior the Savior, you must admit your blindness, your need for Him. And church, we must admit this every day. We need Jesus. Ultimately for our salvation, but every day for our sanctification. We need Him as we fight our sin. We need Him as we encounter our trials. We need Him as we suffer and even as we celebrate, as we live each and every day to the glory of God. We need Jesus. We, we need Him when people hate us for who and what we stand for. When people seek to harm us because of our faith and when people seek to leave us, we need Jesus. And second, the other application. Some claim to see Christ, but in reality are blind to Him. Look at verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near Him heard these things and said to Him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. 
Charles Spurgeon once said, It is not our littleness that hinders Christ, but our bigness. It is not our weakness that hinders Christ. It is our strength. It is not our darkness that hinders Christ. It is our supposed light that holds back His hand. That's heavy. Jesus has come to expose our blindness. But the sad reality is that some don't think they're blind. Some don't think they need Jesus, but that they are owed Jesus. And sadly, there may be some in this room like that today. Like I said earlier, the hardest part about preaching in the Bible Belt is preaching to some who think they are saved, but in reality are not. These Pharisees thought they were, but it was this man, this blind beggar who truly came out seeing the truth of who Jesus is. So church, I don't know where you stand this morning, but be encouraged that this gospel has the power to open blind eyes to the truth of who, of, of who Jesus is. For the believer, be encouraged in the midst of opposition. Jesus is worth it. Be ready and willing to share your story with those who ask why you are different. And to the unbeliever, I pray the Spirit removes the scales from your eyes like he did to Paul in Acts so that you can see the truth of who Jesus is. Like the words from that popular hymn by John Newton, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that as we go into this time of invitation, Lord, open up our hearts to, to the truth of your gospel, God. Help us to see that we need you. Help us to see that we can be encouraged that you are with us and you never leave us or forsake us. You are faithful to us. God, I pray that you would work here this morning. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.